Good morning. My name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. just want to say thanks for being here. Uh, we are excited this morning. We are jumping into our brand new series, I Centered. Um, and this series, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this was kind of conceived as our elders kind of sat around. We're an elder-led church. Uh, some of you don't say, what does that mean? It basically means that I am one of seven men who sit around and, and not children to just sit around. We do more than just sit around. Uh, we do just sit around at times. Sorry, there we go. Um, now you really know what we do, right? Uh, <laughs> but we, we uh, lead together. We give oversight to the church. And, and the elders kind of help steer with what we're going to do on Sunday morning with our messages. And one of the things, as uh, we kind of talk about where we head as a church, it's part of our job. And what's the oversight? What's the direction? And, and so what do we need to then kind of deal with and look into and study out of the Word of God? And one of the things that, that uh, came to mind recently is one of the elders said, you know what? I think one of the things that we struggle with as a church, he was talking about, is we're very much focused on ourselves. We're kind of um, narcissistic and spiritually narcissistic. At times we begin to think the church exists for who? Me, us. Uh, who, I don't care about the people sitting next to me. Is take care of my needs. And again, we don't just deal with this in the church. We deal with this in life. And one of the things our passion is we want to be culturally relevant. So we want to take this book, which seems very old and outdated to many, and let it come alive to us in a way that really makes sense with today and how do we live it out today. But at the same time, we also want to be so culturally relevant. We also want to be countercultural. Meaning there are things in our culture that we shouldn't just cozy up next to. Um, And one of the things in our culture is our culture is very much focused and centered on self. We're very much an individualistic, and you guys know this. I mean, you live out there in the world. You know what you see day in and day out. We're very much an individualistic, consumer-minded group of people. Kind of our worlds revolve around us. Kind of an overarching illustration of this, and maybe will get us thinking for the whole series, and we'll jump into specifically this morning is pictures, family photos. You know, one of the things were um, recently my dad uh, found up in the, he, they just sold one of their, they have had a property they've been working on selling. It's a home he grew up in. And so up in the attic of their garage, they've got all this stuff from way back. They had to get officially cleared out. So then going through it, they found this box with like my, my grandmother. So I never got to meet because he, she died when my dad was four years old, but they found her diaries. They found letters that were written and all this stuff that he's never seen. So it's kind of neat to kind of pull that out and go through it and going through it. Then you start going through old pictures. And one of the things I found myself doing is you go through the old pictures. What do you, you have this tendency to you're flipping through them? Oh yeah, I'm in that one. And you look a little closer Keep flipping. There I am again. I mean, it's like pictures sometimes grab my attention more when I'm in it. Or, or maybe a better way to illustrate it is, is family pictures. How many of you just love getting the family photo taken? I mean, right? We, we all love that, don't we? I mean, the, the women in the room are going, amen, preach it, Adam. I mean, let's, let's really put the... Uh, but, but family photos, I'm, I'm not a real fan of them. I'll be honest. Uh, number one, um, anyway, I won't get all the reasons why. I'll just say I'm not a real fan of them. <laughs> There's my wife down here booing me, if you didn't hear that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a real fan of, but you, what, what you do is you go and you take all these pictures, right? And technology today is so cool. Whether you go into picture people or into the one at Walmart or whether you just do like we did recently, we, to help fit into our budget, we exchanged with a friend. They said, why don't you come take pictures of us and we'll take pictures of you. And then we'll, so we sit down and we have all these pictures on our computer, right? It's like, I don't know, hundreds. It seems like hundreds of pictures and you're sitting there and you're going through them. And what are you going through looking for? You're looking for the perfect family photo that can proudly be displayed on your wall. And so it's like you're going through, oh, oh, stop, sweetie, stop. There it is. There's the picture. 
that is amazing. I mean, that, that would look gorgeous right over our couch. And, and then she points out to you, but sweetie, little Johnny has his finger in his nose. What do you mean? So you look, oh, no, that's just how little Johnny always looks. But, but, but little, little Susie is, is looking, well, that's just little Susie, but, but look at me. I mean, that double chin now looks like one. I mean, it caught me at the perfect angle. I've got, I've, I mean, so you see, when you go through, what I've found is when you go through these family photos, it's like the first thing your mind does is zeroes right in on you. There it is. So our culture and that's a silly example. And maybe you say, that's not me, Adam. Well, that's cool. Then maybe this message deceived is for you. Um, but in all seriousness, <laughs> our culture tends to be very consumed and like it orbits, the world orbits around me. And so we're going to kind of talk about that throughout this whole series, what it means, what the Bible talks and says about pride and what it says about selfishness. Two very ugly things that a lot of times we cozy up next to and don't even realize that we're cozying up next to it. Moving then into where we're going this morning. A lot of us don't see this readily. So what we're going to talk about this morning is, is let, me, let me do a little survey. We're going to talk about self-deception. So what can I do the survey here? Okay, this is, I want to tell you up front. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up, okay? Now, first service did really good with this. I'll, I'll just see how good you guys are at how many of you would say, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up, if you sat down and you had to write down your three biggest struggles in life, the things that if you, would, if you could do anything to stop, to make your life healthier, you would do it. Okay, the three biggest things. I mean, there's sin issues, there are personality things that just really get in the way of relationships. The three biggest things. How many of you would list in the top three, G? I am really self-deceived. Okay, show of hands. How many of you put self-deception as one of your top three? Come on, guys. In first, we got one here. There, first service, it's like the whole room. I'm like, wow, you're the spiritual ones. Okay, now let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, okay, know someone in your life who you would list that as their top Somewhere in their top three. So you know someone, you know someone who, who they say, I'm really good with people. And you're like, oh my goodness, people run when they see you coming. Or you know someone who says, says, hey, I'm just a great leader. And you're like, no, you're just a control freak. Or you other people that say, so you, how many of you know someone who in, you would love to tell them some things. So how many of you know someone who in their top three, they're self-deceived? Show of hands. Now, now, everyone keep their hands up. Everyone keep their hands up. Look around the room. I think we have a bit of a statistical problem, right? <laughs> None of us see it in ourselves, but we see it in everyone else. Self-deception. It's a crazy thing. Turn with me to Psalm 36. Psalm 36. It's right. If you're not familiar with the Bible, glad you're here. Um, love that you're joining us. Uh, and again, we're very passionate about the Bible and the truths in it. I think it really reveals to us who God is and the relationship he wants with us through Jesus. So Psalm 36. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 36. Now, what we're going to talk about, and this is a cool thing. I'm going to put it up on the screen because when I say it, you're going to be like, what? Those who don't know, don't know that they don't know. Okay, catch that? It's up on the screen. So if you'd say, what did he just say? Those that don't know, don't know that they don't know. So when you don't know, when I don't know, you don't know. I mean, when you don't know, that's an inside joke, sorry, um, came out. Someone in our family says that uh, when they listen to this, they listen to me frequently. They'll, they'll laugh their head off, but you guys are all lost. Sorry. When you don't know, 
you don't know that you don't know. Okay, that's, a, that's, that's the truth of self. That's, the, that's the, it's kind of funny when you think about it, but it's the reality of self-deception. The things that I don't know, I don't know that I don't know them. So look at Psalm 36. This, this, crazy, um, this crazy passage. Psalm 36, an oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. So David, the author here, is going to write. He he's kind of has this, he has this revelation. He has this, this oracle, this saying, this truth. As he looks out and he looks at culture, he looks at the world he lives in. He says, man, there's some wicked people. And he's going to describe these wicked people. There is no fear of God, the very first thing he says. So there, this person who's wicked, they don't fear God. Look at verse 2. For in his or her, it could be, it's gender neutral, that word. In his or her own eyes, they what? They flatter themselves. So in other words, they think, man, I'm pretty good. I'm awesome, in fact. I am, I mean, they flatter themselves. I don't have a problem with, or I'm really good at. Or American Idol starts this week, right? Some of you love American Idol. I mean, some of you, if you don't know, I'll, I'll, the, the show's about people who, all over America, who come and sing for the judges to find out who's the best singer in America, who can get a contract at the end of the season, a singing, you know, this, this cool deal. I think it's like a million dollar winning at the end. So they come on stage, and it starts Wednesday night. I was watching football yesterday, and I saw the advertisement for it, and it comes, starts this Wednesday. And I, you know, I watched the show early on when it first came out, and I just don't have time anymore. It's probably a lot of it. But the shows that I do really enjoy watching are like the early episodes. Because you get these people that come out on stage, and they stand there, and they, hand, and they, they, they get all excited. They get in front of these judges, and they sing, and they sing. And the dogs are barking and they're howling and you're plugging your ears and you're trying to get out of the room and, and we're all laughing and we're thinking, oh my goodness. But then the crazy thing is what happens when they're done? The judges say, that was horrible. Some of them don't whisper. Some of them just say, get out of the, get off the stage. What does the singer almost always say? I'm a great singer. I'm awesome. I'm good. The crazy, the thing that's even crazier to me what do the people say that they meet when they leave? Those of you who have seen the show, they leave the room and they always meet their family or friends outside the door. What do the family and friends say to them? Oh, those judges don't know what they're talking about. You were incredible. That was awesome. You're going to show them someday how good you really are. And everyone's going, no, you're not. I mean, we flatter ourselves. I've seen people on stages at church sometimes sing, and I'm like, oh, my word, I'm sitting down front going, oh, no one here, of course. I'm just down front going, oh, my word, what is that? And, and everyone's, I watch after the service, and everyone's coming up and putting their arm around, that was incredible, thanks for ministering to me this morning. And I'm going, you didn't minister to me at all. I mean, I, my soul hurts. And so, again, we have this tendency to flatter ourselves. We have this, and, and it's a trait of the wicked, okay? So they flatter themselves. Too much, okay, so it's almost like the, it's, it's okay to, you know, pat yourself in the back once in a while, but they flatter themselves too much to detect, so they don't even see, therefore they can't even hate their sin. You see that? So it's like they get so busy looking at where they're good, looking at the areas where they succeed, and, th- and thinking that they're great in life, that they can't even see right in front of them the areas that they're just flat out wrong. Then that goes on, the words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good, even on his bed. So it's like, it's like even as he lays down at night, even as she lays down at night, they plot evil. So they're so blinded, they're so deceived, that when they lay down, they begin to have these thoughts, and their thoughts about life and agendas are evil, and they can't even see it. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject 
what is wrong. Crazy thing. We think about this. I, 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 we all, the one thing I want to encourage us with with this series, this is one, here's one of the, the, my preconceived ideas of this series. All of us at some level struggle with this. So it's best for us not to say, do I struggle with pride? Do I struggle being self-absorbed? It's best for us to kind of approach this series with saying, I struggle with pride. I have blind spots. I need to deal with this. Let's not get into this thing where we flatter ourselves. Now, so instead of taking this morning and really kind of waxing eloquent and and trying to convince everyone that they are, what I want to do is I'm just going to trust that most of you come here and say, you know what, I'm probably don't realize how deceived I really am. I probably think we have blind spots. So let's give some help on working. Now, first couple things I want to just mention. Those that don't know, don't know that they don't know. And the longer that I view myself through a distorted lens, the more likely I am to believe a distorted truth. This is huge. So it's really important to, to the more I, the, the, this text, the more I, the, flatter myself, the longer I do it, the more often that I do it, the more I shut other people out and don't listen to them. The longer I do that, the harder it's going to be for me because it's, uh, you know, I'm just, this is who I am. So again, very important. Those that don't know, don't know that they don't know. And the longer I do it, the uglier it is for me. So just before we talk about how to stop this, maybe some, some kind of scratch into a few areas, pride. We're talking about pride this, this series. You know, have you ever talked to someone? Of course, no one's come to talk to you about this, right? But have you ever gone to talk to someone who's proud? You say, you know what? I think you might have a problem with pride. You know what I love hearing back? I do not. It's like real proud themselves. No, I don't. How dare you? Or maybe they'll follow through with saying, again, listen to the flattery of some of these statements. They'll follow through and they'll say, you know, I just value excellence. A lot of times that's the, I'm really proud, proud, but I'm just going to view it as, you know, or maybe someone, they just flat out think I'm gifted in this area and you're not. So you just don't get it. You think I'm proud, but I'm just so gifted or, or I'm better. I'm, someone just say I'm better than everyone else. Or, or sometimes, sometimes you hear the person say, I'm not proud. I just work really hard and God's rewarded me for my work. Really? (laughs) Is that what the Bible teaches about how life works? How about gossip? Have you ever confronted someone with gossip? What's classic lines you hear from them when they're deceived? I can't help that everyone comes to tell me the juicy news. I mean, I can't help that they just love talking to me. Or or maybe you hear this one. Maybe you hear this one. It's really not gossip. I'm just trying to protect you. Because those people, they're, they're, they got some issues. I, I want to I protect you. Or, or the classic church one. You need to know this because they need, what is it? There you go. They need prayer, right? So, but it's like we don't, we flatter ourselves. I wouldn't gossip. I'm not a gossip, but deep down in there might be a problem. Or maybe someone comes, have you ever confronted someone and being rude? You know, you, you're, you're really kind of rude. I am not, you judgmental jerk. I mean, right back to you. I mean, it's like, I'm not rude. Or, or maybe they say, I just tell it like it is. We need more truth tellers in this world. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you might have a problem. Um, or maybe someone comes and says, uh, maybe have you ever talked to someone about watching too much TV? Now, this is not my wife that I'm talking about in this illustration. I'm going to just say it right up front because I'm going to, so you go to, go to talk to someone, you, you know you watch too much TV. I don't. I only watched 25 hours of HGTV last week, and I really, Genevieve has so many good things to say. And, man, I'm just trying to paint this wall, and I need to figure out the right color for it. And I'm trying to, so I, come on, it's not too much. Get out of my way. I love this commercial. This is an incredible commercial. I mean, again, Sometimes when you, or or you'll hear him say, this is how I unwind. I've had a long, stressful day. 
Well, you really, you do it every single day when you get home from work for four hours. I mean, can you find another way to unwind? So again, it's, it's a form of flattery where we kind of, or maybe someone comes to you and says, you know, and this is one I've been unfortunately told I am at times. And here's some of my answers back. They say, you know what, Adam, you've got a problem with control. Matter of fact, you might be a control freak. And, and here's some of my responses. I've written, I've even written some of these in my journal, guys. I mean, I've even said this at times. Well, I, I value excellence and I want it done a certain way because it's the right way. What am I saying? I want to control. Or, or maybe <laughs> I can't help that everyone else does it wrong. Or, <laughs> you know what? Quite frankly, I don't like the way you confronted me and here's how you should have said it. What am I doing? <laughs> Even in my response back to the person who came to me, I'm controlling them on how they should have talked to me. I mean, it's, I got a controlling problem. Instead of just stepping back and saying, I don't know what I don't know that I don't know, or however, I, I can't see, I'll mix up my own mind. I don't know. So it's important. So what do we do? What do we do? Think first thing. Understand that the more convinced that you are that you're right, the more likely you are that you're wrong. Huge truth. When someone helped me see this for the first time, now I'm not talking about standing on principles. I'm not talking about moral relativism where just, I'm, you know, so you stand on the truth of how important marriage is. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, okay, for example, Peter. Some of you know Peter in the Bible, one of Jesus' closest friends. What did he do when Jesus came to him and Jesus said, listen, life is going to get really tough in the next couple of days and I am going to die. And what did Peter say? And Jesus looked at him and said, you're going to deny me, Peter. You're going to run away. Peter says, no way, dude. And he passionately declares and calls down from heaven and earth, says, I will not do this. He was convinced in his heart that he wouldn't do it. Guess what? He was dead wrong. Often in those moments when someone comes to say something, the more passionately convinced we are that we're right, the more likely we are that we're wrong. Take another one, David, who wrote Psalm 36, the one we looked at. What does David do in 2 Samuel chapter 12? Those of you know the story. David, David commits adultery. He then murders the woman's husband, lies about it, gets her pregnant, and tries to find a way to cover this up. And he goes on living as though life is okay. Suddenly, a guy shows up named Nathan and says to David, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you a story. And he tells this amazing, incredible story that draws David in. And he basically lays out the, the, the sins that David has committed. David gets all passionate and indignant and says, this man should find death. What's Nathan say back? Do you know the story? He looks back. You're the man. David was so blinded and had walked in his problems so long that he couldn't even see Nathan's confrontation. Wow, Nathan just set the trap for me. So again, acknowledge, I think, acknowledgement just generally that those that don't know, don't know that they don't know, just stop and say, I think it's the first line of defense. I have blind spots. I have blind spots. I need to be humble about that. Now, then there's three things I think we can do. And these are the ones I want to kind of dig into a little bit. Read your Bible. Very important. And you say, why do that? Well, we're going to talk about some things that we can help us with that. Second one, pray. And not only pray as in talk to God, pray as in listen to God. And then the third and final one is seek counsel and listen to others. That's a huge one and very important. Now, the first one, read the Bible. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of James. If you're in Psalm right now, Psalm 36, James is going to be near the very back of your Bible. Again, if you're not familiar with your Bible. Flip way towards the back. You're going to see a larger book back there, Hebrews. It's the one right a minute following Hebrews. If you hit the very last one, Revelation, go a few books in front of it, and you will run into James. James chapter 1. 
incredible thought comes out in verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22, it says this. It says, do not... Let me hear, still hear some pages turning. Let me give you some time. James chapter 1, verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word, the Bible. Don't just come and listen. In other words, don't just come here this morning and listen. Okay, your job isn't just to come and listen. When I got out of bed in the morning and do my quiet times, what we call it, or read my Bible, don't just listen. Don't just go to your Sunday school class and listen. Don't just sit through seminary and listen. Don't just go and listen. Do not listen to the word. And look what it says. Here's our little word. And so, what do you do? Deceive you. There's a lot of deceived Christians that run around. That have sat in church for a lot of years and soaked up a lot of truth. And because they think they know, they think they're special. Or they think they've got it all together. And reality, that just blinds us because just listening just causes us to be so deceived to the point we can't even see who we are. Look what it says. Do what it says. The end of verse. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word, to the Bible, but does not do what it says is like a man or a woman who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, pause there. Cool illustration. How many of you this morning, just show of hands, let's look around. How many of you this morning looked in a mirror? Everyone, everyone, look around. Now, how many of you, if you were to look in a mirror right now, look exactly like you looked when you first looked in the mirror this morning? Anyone? Okay, good. Chris. <laughs> That's why you're over there all by yourself with your son, right? We don't do that. I mean, this illustration, James says, when we go to the mirror, we're going to the mirror to what? Make changes. Get rid of the bedhead. Put on our makeup. Paint the barn, whatever you want to call it. I mean, let's let's get ourselves presentable because I'm going to church and I'm going to be around people and I want to sit in a seat where others want to sit around me. And I, I mean, we look, we don't do this. So James says, it's kind of silly to go look in a mirror Go look in the mirror and then walk away and think, oh, well, that was cool. That was a nice experience I had this morning. Uh, It made me feel good about myself. And now we're going to go on with life. This is verse 25. But the man who looks intently, this cool thought, it's not only look, but it's look intently. So we come to the Bible with purpose, with, with this reality that I want to see. We look into the perfect law. Now, I love it. It calls it law. This isn't a rule book. It's law. I mean, it's kind of like the laws of gravity. I've used this illustration a lot before. You know, my kids love superheroes. Uh, and if I were to go home with my son, Luke, who's sitting down here with my wife, and, you know, he loves superheroes. So I say, hey, man, let's pretend we're Spider-Man and let's go jump off the back balcony and zip out to the, the trees behind us and just fly all around the backyard. I mean, can it happen? No, but what if I sit here and tell you it can happen? I can do this. You're going to tell it. No, you can't. Gravity is a law. Whether you believe in it or not, it's how its life is governed by it. So I can zip out, I'm going to fall, and I'm going to, you come visit me this afternoon, hopefully, if you like me, in the hospital. So it's a law. It's a perfect law that gives, look at this next one. It's a cool word. What does it do? What does it give you and I? Freedom. This isn't some straight jacket. People sometimes look at the Bible like it's some kind of straight jacket. It's this, it's this God-designed life to function. He knows who he is. He knows what we need. He says, this is a gift to you to see me. And so you can see yourself and we can relate together through Jesus. So, so it gives freedom, this perfect law that gives freedom. And continue. So if you continue to do this, not forgetting what has been heard, but doing it. What's, look at this incredible promise. 
what are you going to do? You're going to be blessed. Now, turn with me to Ephesians. If you're in James and not familiar with the Bible, go back towards the front a number of books or you're running to the book of Ephesians. Because here's what I want to talk about. I want to kind of talk about, see, what some of us do when we come to the Bible, we've got these mirrors up on the stage, and some of them are kind of cool, and, and they're, they're, they're kind of supposed to be carnival mirrors. You know, when you go to, you know, we used to go down to the, the, the um, hands, uh, the uh, Please Touch Museum in Philadelphia, and they have this Alice in Wonderland little thing, and you go down to the one, there's these little carnival mirrors, and I always love sitting standing next to my kids, and I look really tall and skinny, and it's like, yeah, look at that. You know, and I, you, you get, you look, and so sometimes what we do is we come to the Bible, and it's a mirror, but it's a carnival mirror. And so what I want to talk to us about in Ephesians, I want to give you, I want to use Ephesians as examples of how we do this. What we got to be careful with is we work hard not to look in the mirror, the carnival mirror of my theology. Okay, look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Now, one of my theological truths that I personally believe and believe with passion is a person who becomes a believer in Jesus cannot and will not lose their salvation. They are permanently and eternally secure. Okay, I passionately believe that, and I believe it. And some of you have never heard me say it that strongly. I very much believe that and believe the Bible teaches that. So what happens sometimes is I, when I come to the Bible, I, I have these glasses on that say, I believe in eternal security. So I read the Bible through my theology instead of just reading the Bible. So look at verse 5. For of this you can be sure... No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You say, really? I know a lot of Christians who are, who are immoral, impure, and greedy. So what I tend to do is I read this through my theology, which says a person cannot lose their salvation. You know what ends up happening then? I miss the weight of this text. See, Paul thinks a person can't lose their salvation. Look at verse 30 of chapter 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, whom you were, what? Sealed. So Paul believes it too. That's his theology. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Can I get rid of my children? They have my last name. They're in my family. It's a secure thing. So what does verse 5 mean? I think it's given as a wake-up call. And see, if I, don't, if I don't learn to take my theology mask off and really look into the pure teachings of the Word of God, I'm not gonna, I'll read that and say, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I got the grace of God, so I'm covered. I'm good. I, and we put it in the shelf. But I think what Paul's trying to do is say, listen, if you're a believer in Jesus and you are immoral, impure, or greedy, it should really concern you. Matter of fact, it might even, I dare say, it should probably scare you a little. But see, if I, if I just look at it through my theology, I miss the weight of it. And I don't allow it to set in on my soul. And I don't allow it to really, I don't allow the word of God to be a mirror then to say, wow, Adam, am I greedy? Do I really part with a dollar easily and well when I see a person in need? Do I come and give to the church with great joy in my heart? But, but so again, I think that's one thing. So be careful we don't look at it through our own theology. I think here's another mistake. Another mistake that some of us make is we need to work hard not to look in the carnival mirror of the Bible. We need to work hard not to look in my spouses, my friends, or my coworkers, or whatever else may be, mirror. Look in my mirror, not your mirror. Now, this is a hard one for me. As a pastor, some of you who teach, you kind of get this too if you teach the Bible. 
I'll be doing my quiet time, my, my devotional time. I'm reading the Bible, and I'm thinking, man, that would preach really good. And immediately I'm thinking of you and what I could say to you. Or I'm thinking about my kids or my wife or Chris or someone else. I'm like, yeah, they need to hear this. Wow. And I think some of us go to the Bible and begin to look at others instead of look at ourselves. For example, look at verse 22 of chapter 5. Husbands, you may be reading this one. And you come on down here. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So you're reading the Bible one day and you come across that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to talk to my wife when she gets home. Oh, you know, and then you sit down and say, listen here, honey, I had a quiet time this morning. You got a real problem. You do not know how to submit. Right? Well, now she may have done her quiet time that morning. And what did she read? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So she may say back to you, well, yeah, well, you know what I read? I read that you're to love me like Christ loved the church. And last time I checked, he died for, for his church. So why don't you go out and die? <laughs> and you start looking back and forth at one another. And you're like, you're, you're reading the Bible to look at other people. Now, might your wife have a problem with submission? Sure. Sure. Genesis chapter 3 says women are going to struggle with this for all... So your wife probably has a little problem with that. And some of you may say your wife, my wife has a big problem with that, but she probably at some level struggles with that. But you know why she struggles with it? Because you don't love her well. So if I'm a husband and I'm reading the Bible, sure, I can look at that and think about it. But what I really need to learn to do is look into my mirror, not my wife's mirror. Does that make sense? Now, another way this could happen. Look at, look at chapter six. Children. Verse one, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So man, I as a parent could go to my kids. <laughs> hey, listen here, uh, Luke or Zach or Eden or Ava, you, you look at this Bible says you need to, you guys are, you need to obey me. Well, they may go down to verse four. Well, yeah, well, dad, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up into training and instruction of the Lord. He said, dad, don't get so angry and worked up with us. So we have this natural tendency to sometimes go to the text and read it for you instead of reading it for me. Make sense? So again, want to really work hard to avoid looking in others' mirrors, but look in my mirror. And the final one I'd say is this. When you go to read the Bible, work hard not to look in the mirror of my personality, my culture, my family background. All this stuff is important, and all this stuff makes me who I am, and all this stuff. But you know what? Then I've come to realize the longer I get married, it'll be 14 years this year. You know, I've come to realize, yeah, woohoo. I've come to realize... I have a certain personality, my wife has a certain personality, and we just don't think alike. (laughs) I interact with some of you. I'm realizing, yeah, they don't think like me. But sometimes we come to the text and we bring our thoughts, our feelings, our family background, our experience to the text. For example... Or our culture. And I think culture is important. Culture does this. The Bible wasn't written in a sterile culture. So it's important to know its culture, our culture. But look at, look at verse 3 of chapter 5. Again, just to kind of illustrate how this works. Verse 3 of chapter 5, still in Ephesians. But among you, there must not be even a, what's the word that's there? So you have an IV Bible. Not even a hint. So there shouldn't even be a little tiny trace of, no, a trace of what? Of sexual immorality or impurity or of greed, not even a hint. Now, our culture, okay, so if I come to the Bible and read this and I haven't taken off the lenses of my culture, guess what I begin to do? Our culture is, I think most of us can agree, we've got a problem. I mean, it's a sexually driven culture and we're very greedy. We've got money problems. 
big money problems. I mean, we almost hit the fiscal cliff because we have money problems. We like to spend more than we make, and we, I mean, we're greedy people. We want to consume what's placed in my hand. But it says not even a hint. So I, sometimes when we don't take our, our glasses off of our culture and our personality, we may start to say things like, well, you know, Adam, you just need to understand. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, how, it's how my family, it's kind of the jokes we laugh at. Well, Adam, you know, I grew up in this really tight family, and my dad could squeeze a penny out of a however that joke goes. And, and I, I mean, I just grew up with, you know, that's just what you do. And it's, it's my family or, or people will say, well, it's the style. It's the style to wear really tight stretch pants right now. It's what everyone's doing. Come on, Adam, don't be such a prude. Don't get so all up on all up time. It's the style. We all do it. I mean, or, or I'm from Southern California. I mean, come on out to Southern California sometime. You guys here in the Northeast are all uptight about this stuff or, or, we begin to read the text instead of just stopping and saying, not even a hint. So look in the mirror, Adam, is there a hint of greed in my life? Is there a hint of sexual immorality in my life? And if there is, what's James say? Go do something. Don't just stare and look in the mirror. It's a big deal. Now, as we think about this and kind of process this one, um, again, read, and, read the Bible, look into the mirror of the word of God. Second one. Pray and listen to God. Pray, and as you talk to God, really listen to him. Psalm 139, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to put this one on the screen. I've done a lot of page turning. To the, you can write this one down, look at it this week. This is a scary prayer. But I think it's, again, Psalm 36 was written by David, who talks about self-deception because we flatter ourselves. Psalm 139 is also written by David, and he says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. You're like, well, doesn't God know me already? Isn't God already everywhere present? But David says, yeah, God's everywhere present, but it doesn't mean he's intimate and close to me. So I want God to be, so search me, oh God, and know my heart. Now, this next word is a scary word for me. Actually praying, God, test me. Have you ever prayed that? Honestly, sincere, somebody put your hands up. How many, when you honestly and sincerely pray that, do you know life usually gets pretty tough? Because the things that we love so much that we're finding life in that really might be idols, God begins to pull out. And we have some hard times then. I've prayed that at times, and I found myself suffering in ways that I'm like, oh, my goodness, God. He's, I just hear this little voice say, Adam, you told me to test you. Look at what's being revealed. Go deal with it. So, again, search my heart know me. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. God, so these things that I'm all worried about, I mean, really know them. And what's at the core of them? See if there is any offensive way, not just big offenses, but see if there's any offensive way in me. And then this is the incredible, this is the hope of the passage. And uh, so after, after he reveals that and you listen to him, we, we can kind of sometimes sit there like, oh, crap. Look at this. It's not about me. I don't need to pull myself out of this. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me. Search me, know me, lead me. Lead me out of this. Cool, cool truth. So again, read the Bible. I think prayer is important. Uh, The next one, seek counsel. Seek counsel. Now this is big, and there's a there are a ton of verses we could look at for this. I'll just throw throw two of them up. Proverbs 15. He who listens... To a life-giving rebuke. How many of you ever put those things together? Life-giving and rebuke. Some of us are like, whoa, 
how is that even the same thing? Life-giving, or some of us, when we get rebuked, I mean, it's like it's the worst thing could possibly happen to us, and we're just going to turn tail and hide. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at, what's it say? Home among the wise. Now, something I know of every one of us in this room, you want to be considered a wise person. There isn't a person in here that says, Adam, I want to be a fool. If you want to be wise, you've got to listen to life-giving. Now, here's the deal. Some of you will say, well, how do I know it's a life-giving rebuke? I got an email this week from someone, not in this church, so don't worry, um, someone who rebuked me, and it was not life-giving. So how do you know it's not life-giving? Here, let me give you two tests. Number one, does the person who's rebuking you love Jesus? Do they manifest in their life a commitment to Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Number two, does the person and has the person manifest in their life a commitment and love for you as a person? Now, this person, not true. Of the, neither, they didn't meet either one of those tests. So guess what I did to the email? Delete. Off it went. Bye-bye. See you later. And I tried really hard not to even think about it again. Now, here's the deal. So that's, I want to say that, but, but oftentimes when people come to me and are talking to me, it's my wife, it's my kids. You know, my son the other, the other day, I told you this, I think last week, said, you know, Dad, you're kind of grumpy. My son loves me. My son loves Jesus. May not be perfect in either one of them, but he loves me and loves Jesus. So guess what? That's a rebuke from my son I'd better listen to. Because if I want to be wise, I had better listen to that. Now, I could give a whole host of reasons what he might have been seeing and how you got it all mixed up, son. But the reality is I need to listen. Now, look at the next one. He who ignores discipline. So if I ignore this, if I ignore the hard stuff coming at my life, look at what this says. This cracks me up. Most of us ignore discipline and ignore rebuke because it, it just it makes me so uncomfortable and I love myself too much. It actually says the opposite. I ignore discipline. I actually hate myself. But whoever heeds correction, so if I listen to those of you who come to me, I actually gain understanding. Incredible, incredible truth. Now I'll say this too. If more than one person comes with the same life-giving rebuke, I think it's all the more important to listen to it. So maybe it looks like this. I remember when I was a teenager, I had a, um, you know, my hormones were running wild. I had, a, I had a strong desire to be married, and I was starting to date, and I was dating lots of, you know, diff- trying to experiment, get out there and try things out. And, and my parents would come to me, and they'd say, Adam, this girl, matter of fact, one of them, I remember very well, my mom sat me down and said, Adam, it's kind of like she's a bacon cheeseburger. And you know what? I really like bacon cheeseburgers, but I'd rather, I like, if I could order it, filet mignon a whole lot more. So I don't want you to date a bacon cheeseburger. I want you to have filet mignon. Now, I went and told her this, and it was, it was not... Dating 101, guys, don't, don't, don't share it. So I, I went and shared it with her, and it was very bad for our relationship, and we ended up breaking up. So it, I guess my mom's sitting back smiling, going, ha, it served its purpose. But listen, when people would come to me and say to me, Adam, this girl's not good for you. She's got problems. You know what? Listen to them. Young people, I can't say it enough. Your mom and dad love you to death. If you don't have a mom and dad, you have people in your life that love you to death and they see life at a 20,000 feet that you cannot listen when they say this person's not good for you. So again, we don't do this well. So you go on to a bunch of other ones. I mean, I could give you a ton of examples in this one. How about someone comes to you? This is one that I, this is one that I've learned in ministry is way off limits. 
You know, you can come and rebuke me, but the minute you start talking about my kids, whoa, try and talk to anyone about their parenting. It is like classic 101, you do not go there. Why is that? You know, if someone who works with my children day in and day out, who's committed to my kids, who loves my kids, who see my kids in a context outside of me, come to me and say, hey, Adam, I'm concerned. I need to listen. If I want to be wise, I need to learn to open my ears and say, okay, as hard as it is, don't take it personally. I need to listen. How about if someone comes to you and says, you know what? You may drink too much alcohol, not water, alcohol. We're talking, you may drink too much alcohol. You know the classic response of someone who actually drinks too much is? No, I don't. I don't have a problem. Often that comment is coming to you, though, from someone who loves you and sees you in that state when you've had one too many. Learn to listen and say, you know what? I might have a problem. Matter of fact, take the might out of it and say, you know what? I do have a problem. I'm going to go get help. Or maybe someone comes to you and says, hey, you've got a problem with your phone. Every time I'm with you, you're on your phone. Oh, I mean, you don't understand how important my job is. I mean, I've really got to reply to this right now. And, and no, learn some boundaries. If someone tells you you're in the phone too much, you're in the phone too much. Get off the phone. See, that's where we don't do this very well. We always find this way to begin to flatter ourselves. Say, you know, we don't really have a problem. Our elders here at this church, I love to death. This, I want to share just candidly what our elders process and what they do. Our elders have written right in a document that we, that we hold to and we believe that we have written down. And when, it, when our new elder, Cliff, came on this year, I sat down with him and I talked through this document. This is how we operate. And in that document, we say this. We believe that every one of us at this table, there's seven of us, have blind spots. We're going to operate just with the understanding that we have blind spots. So one of the things that we do is once a year, we sit down and we go around the table and every single person looks at me and says, okay, Adam, here are two things that you really are poor at. And when you do them, it hurts our team. And here are two things you're really good at. And what's interesting to me, when we get a whole way around the table and I'm sitting there writing them all down, and this has happened already, I look at it and think, are you kidding me? I don't do that. Until I've heard it now from the second person, the third person, the fourth person, I'm like, holy, I better take a look at this. I love our team. We do that. We speak into one another. And matter of fact, we take this so far that after every major agenda item, you know, we're sitting there and we're wrestling through stuff and talking through stuff. We will stop before we move on to the next one and say, okay, is everyone okay with everyone in this room? Does anyone have anything you need to say to anyone around this table? Either that they did poorly through this conversation, they, they sinned, they were angry, they were, speak now, challenge one another. And our team, I'll be, I told our team yesterday, we sat with a consultant yesterday and we're working through just our direction of the church. And, and I'm, I said to our team when we sat there, I said, you know what, guys, honestly and sincerely from the bottom of my heart, I've been in a lot of leadership teams in the corporate world and in the church world. And I've never seen a leadership team like this leadership team that, that trust just gets stronger and stronger. This team trusts one another. And I think it comes back to because they're willing to acknowledge we all have blind spots and I'm going to let you talk to me about them. Huge thing. So I've seen it work there, and I think it could work in the home and the family and other places like that. Now, as I land this plane, as I think about this, one of the things that I've come to realize, one of the things that I've come to realize is some of the reason we get into these deceived places is because we put a mask on. 
We as human beings, when you looked in the mirror this morning, you changed your appearance because why? You want the people around you to like you. I want you to like me. It's healthy. If you're a person who's just like, I don't care about them, it's really not a healthy place. So what we tend to do is we walk into life to put our best foot forward, to put my best foot forward. I got to cover some things up because I don't want you to see me. And we, and we kind of live this way, putting these masks on. So it starts innocently and it starts healthy, but it soon starts to get to a place where we're putting it on so much that we soon just get to a place where we really are afraid of exposure. I don't want you to see me. And it soon starts to get to the place when I'm walking up to the mirror and all I'm looking at is the mask. And soon I start to believe the mask of who I am. And I don't want to take it off because I'm afraid. And what I find happens in my life and what I find happens in, in, in many lives of people I've sat and counseled with over the years is we soon get really comfortable with that way of living. And when life begins to fall apart, the marriage begins to struggle, the, the kids begin to go wayward, the, the hard things were said at work, or, and, and life starts to get really, really hard. We're faced with, do I take the mask off? You know what I've learned? Most of us never take the mask off. And what I've learned in my own life is why we don't take the mask off is because, number one, I don't want to be exposed. And number two, change is really hard. Getting healthy is not easy. And I'm comfortable. Though this is dysfunctional over here, I know it. I'm comfortable in it. And for me to still, because right now, one of the things I'm working on is I've been told that I'm controlling so I've been working and trying to process that and trying to say, you know what? When I take steps over here outside of that control, it is really uncomfortable because this way of life worked for me for 35 years. But now someone comes along and says, Adam, it doesn't work. So step over here and over here is scary because it's not comfortable. It's not familiar. It's not easy. It's not natural. So what do I do? Put the mask back on. Let's step over here. I mean, let's grab another mask to cover up all the more, what they're, whatever they're seeing. Let's try and cover it up even more. And I find the heart of this series, the heart of this morning, is this one truth. If you can embrace this one thing, truth gives freedom. Drill that one in. When I come and I look at Jesus, and I look at the word of God square on, I'm going to find freedom. Reality, John chapter 8 says that. Reality is my friend. It's my best friend. So though I may look in the mirror and it is really scary and they, I may be exposed and they may, they may put me on the outside because of this or they may make fun of me or they may condemn me, it's your friend. Stare it down. Look it down. Embrace it. And more than that, this is the thing. It should drive us to the gospel of Jesus Christ, every single one of us. See, Jesus came to call you and I out of darkness. He came not to condemn us, but he came to give us life. John chapter 3 says, I've come not to condemn you, but to save you. Come out. But he says what most of us do, most of us run back into the darkness. And we stand there and then we wonder why we feel like we're so far from God and why he's so mad at us. Because it says his wrath is still on us because we're not out in the light. See, the gospel of Jesus, what it should do is it pulls us to his gospel. And this is the message of Jesus is the heartbeat of this series because it destroys pride. The message of Jesus says, you know what, Adam? You are jacked up and you are lost and eternally lost without me, period. You can't save yourself. No matter how good you are, no matter how hard you work, you cannot save yourself. So the message of Jesus is I step out then so he can save me.
I step out so I can have a relationship with him because what he's done for me, not because of me. So, so the message is look to Jesus, his grace, his mercy. It destroys, it destroys fear. You know, we're afraid to take that mask off. Well, Jesus says, no, 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 no. The message of Jesus says, my love is everlasting. It's eternal. It will not run out and it will not dry up. Take it off and come to me. As I thought about this message, thought about this series, and how do you preach to people and help them see that they're blind? Blind people are blind people. How do I see that I'm blind? Then it hit me. You know what, Adam? It's not a human endeavor. Sure, you read the Bible, you pray, and you seek counsel, human endeavors. But ultimately, God needs to show up. Ultimately, I need to know that I'm a believer in Jesus, first and foremost, and I need to know the truth that his spirit lives inside of me and speaks to me, counsels me, directs me. And so my thought was, as I ended this, I thought, you know what? I trust that most people came here because they want freedom. Most people came here because they want life. And I trust that the large majority of you in this room have the spirit of God living in you. And you probably heard God whisper something to you through this, through this morning. You probably heard God say something. So what I encourage you to do, we're going to close in a song here, but I encourage you to do, just pull out that notepad And if you heard him say something, write it down. You looked into the mirror, right? What's it say? Look in and don't just walk away. Look in, see it, do something. So write it down. It may seem really, really little to you, but you heard it. The first step is to listen. Write it down. And leave here this morning and say, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do something about what God said to me this morning. And I'm going to love Jesus. Because remember... Remember, this is the truth you can say to yourself this week and talk to your friends and have fun in your small groups. Those that don't know, don't know that they don't know. I need help. And Jesus came to give us that help. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his grace and his mercy that has come to us. And God, I pray, God, I just, as the pastor of this church, and I pray for these people, I pray for me that that Psalm 139 would be so alive in our hearts that we are just constantly coming and saying, God, search me, know me. God, lead me, lead me. I can't do this thing on my own. Help me to be a person who just naturally lives from a place of, you know what? I have blind spots. I have them. So God, search me, know me. I don't know that I don't know. God, search me. Then lead me. So God, I can walk with clean hands. And I can enjoy you, enjoy you because of your grace and your mercy pulling me out of the pit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.